If you're enjoying Hatch, you can support the show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It can be a one-off thing. The money is going to be used to support the creation and the launch of season two. So if you're interested in seeing another season come to life, just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'd be so grateful. Welcome to Hatch, where society's creative and artistic souls share their stories about starting something new. From actors to artists, to dancers to founders, to designers, to writers, to musicians, we explore what triggers their compulsion to create, how they develop and share their art. And in a world that tells us everyone's too busy to listen, why they bother at all. Camille Vidal is the founder of the mindful drinking brand and creative consultancy, La Maison Wellness, and has spent her career as a consultant and global brand ambassador, most notably for St. Germain and the Bacardi family of brands. She is internationally recognized as a leading voice in the drinks industry and now combines her expertise in drink with her passion for health and wellness. Specifically, Cami advocates for drinking and living well with cocktails of the low to no alcoholic variety. Cami is the author of two books, How to Drink French Fluently and How to Spritz French. She was named as one of the Bar World 100 Most Influential Figures, named by Forbes as a woman leader in the drink industry, and won Best International Ambassador during the Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Awards. Cami brings sophistication and uncompromisable flavour to her craft and is leading the way in expanding the conversation around mindful drinking and conscious consumption. Cami, welcome to Hatch. I'm so happy to have you. What an amazing introduction. I might invite you like anytime I need to do a talk or, or a seminar, I'll be like, I just brought my friend Hannah. She's going to introduce me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Literally. so much. Part-time role just to write blurbs about my friends. I <laughs> You're amazing. You're amazing at it. <laughs> you grew up in the south of France in a very artistic family, and it sounds incredible. Your dad ran a theatre, and I've heard stories of lots of guests and friends just like popping over to your home all the time, sort of flooding through the doors from makeup artists to costume designers to actors. And it sounds pretty amazing growing up in that kind of environment. Could you share a bit more about what that was like growing up in a really eclectic household? I mean, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Um, when I was very, very little, my dad was a dancer and he was actually dancing with an eagle. And I remember being at school in, you know, like maybe the age of five and it was bring your pet to school day. <laughs> so I, br I brought the eagle. And everyone at school was just looking at me, be like, what is this, you know? Um, and that was just my life when I was a kid, you know? I used to, like, come back from school and just go for a really, really long walk with my dad because we needed to to get the, the eagle to, to fly and... To, oh like, it was just so like really beautiful moments with uh, with my family. I'm also insanely you know grateful that I grew up in the south of France, that I grew up in an environment when there wasn't much you know 
technology. Like I spend a lot of time outdoor and I spend many, many, many hours in my dad's theater. So when I was very little, he was a dancer um, and doing African dance. My dad is from North Africa. Um, he's from Algeria. He moved to France when he was a, a teenager, but uh, but was really connected to to his roots. And so he was uh, he was doing more like you know Central, more like Western Africa type of dance. So I grew up with like drums in the house and a musician everywhere, and so much diversity and and very much from my early age learning the the beauty. Of, uh, of the diversity of, uh, of the world and the different cultures. And then very quickly he moved on to um, theater and wanted to, to bring words into what he was doing, into his craft, into his arts. And so he started writing plays. And so I grew up in a theater and that was that really created so much inspiration for me for sure like it was loads of different artists and as you said from like you know makeup artists doing incredible masks to um costume designer and I would just go from one station to to another and uh, and play around with uh, with everyone and everyone were looking after me you know my my dad as as you can imagine and my mother was was working with him so their life was their work and it's just you know taught me so much about expressing your creativity but it also taught me so much about community about connection about hospitality you know I I always say to my parents like I'm so grateful because I can fall asleep anywhere and everywhere you know because I learned how to fall asleep on tables at restaurants at five in the mornings because my my parents and all the actors and all the people involved in the play will go and have a late meal after the play and just celebrate and drink all the wines and I was just you know be in the corner falling asleep listening to the sound of a, of the voices and the party going on you know and so I think we all have like memories of like our childhood and the and the bedtime stories but mine was just on another level you know <laughs> yeah yours literally sounds like from a storybook or a novel it's kind yeah. it's wild it's wild did your parents really encourage you just to go out and try all sorts of different things like it was quite interesting that they were quite in the performance space and obviously you've ended up in the, you went straight to hospitality basically so did you try all these different things as as you grew up and then you kind of realized at a particular point this you know this industry is for me how did that evolve you know, it's funny that you said that because as much as like I had the most, you know, incredible childhood and so packed with flavor, let's say, and, and creativity, it was also really hard for me to have a voice in this environment because, you know, my dad was on the stage and all the artists were on the stage and it was kind of, it, it was very much lacking of like structure and of time for me to to find ways of um, being creative you know I I had the proximity of learning so much and and being so fulfilled with like loads of different craft and different arts but at the same time I didn't have the space to to do much myself and so my dad said that to me on the on the phone when when we had this amazing conversation he said you know it's really hard for for a little girl like you were to be able to to have a voice when there's so much happening when there's so much that is that is going on i felt like that i spent my childhood my teens year and my early 20s and trying to find how could I express express this creativity that I found within me? How could I, you know, have a voice and a voice that could be heard? And so, you know, once you're in art school for a few years, 
then decided that I wanted to learn more of like the business side and and to study communication and event management and marketing. And so did that and did a degree in that. And after that, I decided to to go and travel and move to Australia. But throughout my entire time at university, but even prior that, I always work in hospitality. You know, at first it was like helping out at the theater with my dad. You know, my dad was definitely a bon vivant and love his wine. And I'm from the south of France, so we drink didn't something you learn, that is didn't, didn't you learn how to pour a glass of wine at just like at an amazingly young age? Like I love oh, that your I mean, parents trained you. I think, I think my dad taught me how to open a you know, properly like a bottle of wine when I was like six or seven. But yeah, like absolutely, you know, like that hospitality. And because there was always people in my, in my house and because we were always spending so much time in the theater or at restaurants, etc., all of that was really much inspiring, you know, me and, uh, and this sense of hospitality and this sense of like being creative in the kitchen. And then when I moved to Australia after graduated, I actually didn't speak a word of English at that time. And that was like maybe 12 years ago. That's um, so bold to move to Melbourne with not one word. I mean, it was, I don't think I was really realizing what I was doing. I was just like, I'm out of here. I need to go and travel. Yeah. I want to learn English. Australia sounds great. It's sunny, beautiful. So I moved to Australia. I didn't speak a word of English at the time. And so I was just like, well, I'm going to I'm gonna work in hospitality industry because that's what I've done always. And because as much as I work in hospitality industry before that, I never really spent that much time with cocktail. Like my knowledge and understanding of cocktail was really, really little slash non-existent. And so when I become more familiar with that craft and when I actually got to you know, to to learn more about cocktail and to to put one foot behind the bar, it was it was an epiphany moment. It was very much of the, oh, so this is my way of being creative. This is my way of expressing this creativity that I find within me, but I just didn't know how to do. You know, I did a bit of dance. I did. A, I went to an art school. I was painting. I was drawing. I was doing all those things, but nothing was really clicking, mm-hmm. and nothing was felt like that it was my thing, that it was my way of being creative. And that was the, that's what creating cocktails and, and hospitality industry gave me was that platform for me to be creative. Wow. And it seems like it's such a hybrid of all these things that you were kind of, I guess, intrinsically really interested in and gravitated towards. And you've got the arts and you've got the presentation of it all and, and the taste and the flavors and, and the service and the people. So it kind of makes sense that that's where, that's where you found your place. Could you share a little bit about your career before you founded La Maison Wellness? So particularly the roles that you had at, at Saint-Germain, because it sounded like you just had quite the incredible time. Yeah, absolutely. So, so for moving to Australia and working in bars and restaurants, I was supposed to move back to France and to work for an agency, um, more on like events management and uh, and marketing. And I actually decided to stay there. And I remember, you know, calling my my parents, and I was like, okay, so here's what's happening. I'm actually going to stay in Australia. And now I'm a bartender. And they're like, what? <laughs> they're like. You just graduated from university. You've got a degree. What are you doing? And let me tell you that like there was a moment when I moved to Melbourne, I started working in the nightclub. I had never been to a nightclub. I hate nightclubs. So I got the job. I don't even know how I got the job. I didn't understand a word of what the person who was interview- doing the interview for me was saying. And I remember the guy saying to me, 
come tomorrow for a trial at 7. I didn't know what a trial was. I didn't understand 7 p.m. I was just like confused with the time. I looked at like what time they were opening and I just show up at 4.30. One day and he was like, what the heck are you doing here? And I was like, I'm here to work. And he was like, okay, whatever. The nightclub's Uh, not open yet. But I was was like, you know, mise en place. We need to set up for everything. I'm just going to go early. Um, He was clearly like, you're in my way. (laughs) Like, what are you doing here? But anyway, he was like, oh, whatever. And so I waited for hours, you know, sitting on the couch there. And then at seven, the person arrived to train me. I didn't understand a word of what that person was saying. I mean, like, imagine learning English in the nightclub, which the music is super loud, (laughs) with an Australian accent. I mean, it could not have been more complicated. And so the person was like, okay, I think after, you know, maybe half an hour explaining to me everything, she realized that I was generally nothing was sinking in. Like, I could not understand what she was saying. And she looked at me, grabbed me by my shoulders, and she said, okay, just stay here and say hello to everyone. And so I was like literally standing next to the entrance and just saying hello to people. And I was like, hello, good evening, hello. And I had this moment when I was like, oh, gosh, I just graduated from high school and I just feel like that, what am I doing here, you know? But I learned so much. It was such an amazing way of like, diving in deeper to like what was my mission and what I was doing but then decided that I wanted to work in a in a cocktail bar and I really wanted to learn about making cocktail worked in the cocktail bar for almost a couple of years and absolutely adored where I worked the team I work with like really really connected with that creativity um, side of uh, of hospitality industry and and everything was uh, was Asian inspired and so I learned so much about different flavors and and it was just an incredible experience. But at the same time, there was always like in the back of my head, I was like, okay, what's the end goal here? What are you doing? Where are you going? But very quickly, I wanted to combine a little bit of everything to combine what I learned at university, you know, having a degree in, a, in communication and marketing with my passion for cocktail creation, with the, the passion for the industry and hospitality and community, with this really strong desire to also share with the world what I learned growing up, you know, this, the French culture, the art of the aperitif, the being able to share that culture that was so important to me. And so, you know, with all of that, I kind of like put that on paper and then I was like, I feel like becoming an ambassador will give me this platform and this opportunity to tick pretty much all the boxes. So I looked at all the brands, you know, that I could see myself working for, contacted all the people working on those brands and start like, you know, my plan on, I'm going to become an ambassador for a French brand. And Saint-Germain was definitely a brand that like I loved. It had the French culture and this French joie de vivre combined with a brand that was, you know, so important for cocktail creation and available around the world. And so I contacted the people in Australia working on that brand. I had the opportunity to meet the founder who was American and then I got the job. You know, I had life took me on a different journey. I couldn't stay in Australia um, for visa reason, but I moved to London and became the ambassador for that brand for the UK and for France, but mostly working in London and Paris. And it was an amazing journey. It sounds like it. And it sounds like you were the perfect face 
of that brand. You embody what it means to be a beautifully French, outgoing, sophisticated person. So I can see exactly why they picked you. And I'm also really interested. So you obviously had this kind of crazy life by the sounds of it, uh, in the sense that you were sort of traveling around the world, representing the brand and deep in the world of cocktails and bars and hospitality. And at the same time, you almost counteracted this and you trained as a yoga teacher and a mindfulness leader. And obviously there's a stereotype around alcohol and the cocktail industry being fueled by late nights and not correlating with health. And so I'm, I find it interesting that you did make this transition. I mean, it was, it started from a necessity for me to, to find more balance, you know, from moving to London and becoming the Saint-Germain ambassador for France in the UK and working for that family business. Then Bacardi did the acquisition of Saint-Germain. So I moved with Bacardi and became the global ambassador for the brand, which was amazing. But I traveled around the world. I launched the brand from, you know, Japan, China to so many different countries around the world. And all of that was so incredible, but it was very challenging. It was challenging to find the balance. I remember when I started as an ambassador here in, uh, in London 10 years ago, I remember coming home and my, my flatmate at the time who was a bartender said to me, you know, Cami, you do not have to drink every single cocktails every single night. But oh by God. being an ambassador, you kind of feel like you have to, you know, you go to bars and people create something and you know how much, you know, love and care they put in creating something specifically for you using the product that you represent. And so you feel like that you have to drink it. Then what they don't realize is this is your first stop of the night and you actually have eight other bars that you, you're going to visit that evening. And so it was really hard for me to find that balance. And because of that intensity of the job, and at some point I was traveling so much that it would actually have been cheaper for me to live in a hotel here in London rather than having an apartment. Because I was home like maybe three nights a month, you know, five nights a month maximum. And so because of the intensity of that job, I really needed to find the balance, you know. And Was there a breaking point for you? Was there a sort of a particular night or morning or time that you can look to and you're like, I've just, I've just got to do something about this. This is, this is too much. It was kind of a, you know, I get that question a lot and, and I get it even more when we talk about mindful drinking. And like, did you have a really bad hangover when you woke up and you're like, that is it. I'm not drinking anymore. And I don't actually. It was just a, it was a transition. It was a consciousness. It was an awareness that I was building. Um, my, my mother lived in, a, in Africa and Senegal for many years, but she was a yogi. She was practicing meditation and she, she was always on my back. She was always like, you should practice yoga. And I was like, no, mom, that's your thing, you know. And then in, a, in my mid-20s, I start, you know, because I needed that balance. You know, yoga for me was something that I could do when I, when I was traveling. It became my habit. You know, I would land into a city and I would just look at like the yoga studio wherever I was landing. Mm. I think that also something that really gave me this um, desire to talk more about wellness and hospitality industry and then led me to wanted to, to talk about wellness and well-being and mindfulness full stop and launching Les Maisons Wellness was the moment where when I was living in New York a few years ago and I had the opportunity to build a program of ambassadors from scratch and I had 40 ambassadors around the world and all I wanted was to teach them 
to find balance from the beginning, to be able to build a career that was sustainable because I didn't want them to feel, you know, burnout. And that was definitely the moment when I realized that I wanted to bring more mindfulness. I wanted to inspire people to, to find balance in their lifestyle in the industry that I was working in. That's an amazing story. And I guess it is that moment where you think, actually, what I can do can really involve teaching and sharing in these two industries that you're equally perhaps passionate about, hospitality and wellness. You essentially left your role as an ambassador for Bacardi and went straight into Le Maison Wellness. So what was that point in which you thought, okay, now's the time to jump? Yeah, I mean, I, from that moment when I, I really wanted to to inspire and to use the voice that I had in the industry to show the way, you know, of finding more balance in the hospitality industry, to do it with my team of ambassador, but also with the with the industry in general. And I, and I did loads of things. I helped a friend of mine to launch a platform called Healthy Hospo, and we did a lot of training for hospitality industry. I decided to go and, uh, and do my um, teacher training to become a yoga teacher, to really dive deeper into learning, but also in being able to share with people, to mentor people, to inspire people. And so at some point, there was this moment where I was teaching yoga and I was still an, the ambassador for Saint-Germain and I was teaching wellness and mindfulness in hospitality industry. And, and I felt like I was between those two industries. And it was really... It was challenging and a lot of people were saying to me, oh, are you a full-time teacher, yoga teacher now? And, you know, and I didn't really want to go out as much as I was doing it. And there was a little bit of a disconnect and, and I felt like that I wasn't fully connected to the wellness industry, but at the same time, I wasn't fully connecting to, mm. to the hospitality industry anymore. And I sat down and I took a piece of paper and I wrote down what I loved about those two industries. And it was very much of a, I was spending more and more time in the wellness industry and I, when I was feeling more and more connected to that industry and I was feeling less connected to the hospitality industry. And there was a moment when I asked myself, I was like, maybe it is a bigger transition. Maybe it's actually shifting industry. Maybe your time in hospitality industry is over. And so when I, when I started writing down what I loved about hospitality industry, everything that was coming up was the creativity, the connection, the people, the community, the hospitality. And I kept on writing and writing and writing. And at no moment it says alcohol. At no moment there was anything that was connected to that. And that's the moment when I realized that I could remain connected to, to that industry without having to, to do it in the same way that I, that I did before. And trust me, it was a two years of transition. And as I was saying, you know, transitions are an amazing vessel for magic to be created. But for someone who needs a little bit of structure, <laughs> they're also very triggering. The uncertainty, the trying to figure things out, all of that, the knowing that something was over, but the trying to figure out how, what was the next chapter? How could I bring the voice that I, that I had and spread the messages that I wanted to? And so many people didn't get it. You know, they were like, what do you mean? You want to talk about wellness and cocktails? That makes no sense. I can imagine there'd be some kind of traditional players maybe in the hospitality industry that you knew or were sort of thinking, why on earth are you doing that? Yeah. Do you have to deal with that? Oh, yeah. 
people didn't get it. They were like, I don't understand. I don't get what you're trying to do. But also being a global ambassador is an incredible role. And people were like, you want to leave the dream job and an amazing company to to do what? <laughs> you know, people just weren't really getting it. And, and it was that moment when I was just like, trust yourself. And it did. You know, I took a leap of faith and and I jumped and I was like, let's see what happened, <laughs> you know, and it's been amazing. There is one quote that says, there is no path. The path is made by walking. And that was my mentor. And the days where the vision was really clear and I knew where I was going and what I was doing felt amazing. And the one where it was just, you know, blurry and I felt like that everything was heavy. I was just like, keep on walking, keep on working. You know where you're going. For somebody who obviously needs a plan and then you find yourself sometimes in situations where it's like, well, there's only so far you can plan this. Like you've got the kind of end goal in sight, but there's so many different paths to get there. I totally hear you around the other voices or advice because I think there's so much wisdom from people who've been in industries for a long period of time but also I guess we have to be conscious of how much we do take on board and to take advice take it on board but also with a slight grain of salt sometimes unfortunately because times are changing and if we do things the way that other people have done them you know 20 years ago we're not progressing and we're not going to be sort of doing things that are aligned with how the world is moving and and the place that we want to be. So I think sometimes intentionally having to just soften those voices of advice, which may be coming from a really good place, but may not be exactly what we need. And that's kind of a, a process in itself, I guess, but one that seems like you have figured out. And that's one thing that I've realized was everyone sees life through their own goggles and I think that a lot of the people that were like this is crazy it was because it was also triggering maybe their fears so I think that as you said is listening to what people say for sure but listening to yourself it's such good advice I would love to know in your current life what does your compulsion to create look like are you the kind of person that if you haven't experimented with flavors or being in the kitchen, playing around with different cocktail mixes and things in, say, a week, you find yourself going a bit stir-crazy? How, how is that experience for you? It's funny because I feel like that everything that I do is so creative, you know, but I still haven't really figured out what is my creative process. That's such a relief. <laughs> do you it hear just, that? It just goes. <laughs> You know, it, it's just happened. Like, I feel like that yeah. there's one thing that I realize is like, for example, isolation and having more time and more space really allowed me to be creative. I get stuck in creation when I don't have the space and the time to be open. But and you, were, you were saying before we pressed record that um, having your home as the central place for literally everything that you're doing, because obviously you can't have your videographer or your photographer or your graphic designer with you. So you've had your intimate space where you've been dabbling and addressing all different creative avenues of your business um, and, and having that little geographical haven must yeah. also be, be nice for that process. Yeah, it's been so nice. And it's been that time allowed me to be more creative, to recenter, to figure out what is essential and to really 
allow myself to to find more clarity in the, in my mission and in my business for sure absolutely but I do think that like I'm creative very much in my head there's all like it's almost like I'm always thinking of creation it's always in my head and many many times I'm just like lying in bed eyes wide open and I just have to get up because I have loads of ideas of like things I want to create and I actually it's been that way as long as I can remember. I remember being a teenager and painting and uh, and thinking of ways of like doing like a whole exhibition in my bed, having to get up to write it down just because all the ideas happen. Wow. <laughs> a lot in I my head. <laughs> I, want, I want to be inside your mind for just one day and just experience this. <laughs> just for one day though, because there's a lot going on. We've touched on Lemay's and Wellness a bit during this episode, but I'm curious to hear more as I know you really are paving the way in bringing mindful drinking and low ABV cocktails into the mainstream. So could you share a bit more about what you're doing now? Lemay's and Wellness was, was born from the desire for me to inspire people to drink well, ultimately to live well. And I think that it was so intrinsically connected for me that what we put in our body is the foundation of our well-being. And I think a lot of people even to these days don't really put what we what they drink into the full picture of their well-being. I always say I become a mindful drinker because I didn't have time for a hangover. You know, and so that was very much the, the beginning of like the journey. And a lot of, at the beginning I was very much focusing on the on the non-alcoholic because I wanted to show the world that tasty doesn't have to be boozy because I'm very much on the mission that I want to change the relationship that we have and that society has with alcohol. Alcohol is so embedded in society. It is part of a celebration. Too many people self-medicate with it. It's a way to people feel like they have relaxed, it takes the age off, when actually there's so many more things that you can do to do that and we're better. Um, and, and so I wanted to, to change that. I want to change the, the relationship and the conversation around what is a cocktail. But for me, mindful drinking is, is a lifestyle. It's about becoming aware of what is our relationship with drinking and how can we empower this relationship to, to fill at our fullest, to allow our spirit to shine and to really truly live like healthy hedonists. And so for that... I wanted to to share those recipes, but to make sure that La Maison Wellness was inclusive for all. So for people that didn't want to drink alcohol, to know that they will find something that is delicious, that they don't have to feel like they're ordering something from the kids' menu or their second, you know, second class guests or anything. That's but the also, thing, right? You you mm-hmm. go to still a pub in the UK, and your only option is like a ginger beer, or they try and make a cocktail and just take out the liquor and it just is so an ad sprite and it's just terrible and it's so uninspiring and unappealing that I think a lot of people probably had that experience that they just they'd rather have water or just not even be there absolutely and that's the reason why I focus so much on non-alcoholic because I was going to some of the best bars in the world and don't get me wrong there's some amazing venues now that are doing great work at creating non-alcoholic cocktail but it's still little you know they loads of amazing bartenders that I know were you know putting so much effort in making delicious alcoholic cocktails but for the non-alcoholic they were just 
kind of throwing whatever soft drink they had, mixing it together and calling it a day, you know, and it was so uninspiring and it was so flat and it was so not a representation of how delicious and exciting non-alcoholic cocktail can be. Absolutely. I still remember um, Andy, my boyfriend, going to an event that you you were running and there were, I think, three different mindful cocktails and he was just he had never really had an enjoyable non-alcoholic cocktail before and he was just in awe and in shock and was like this they were genuinely up there with some of the best cocktails regardless of alcoholic content ever thank you so much and I think you know that's the best compliment that I that I get often on cocktails is like people not even realizing that there's no alcohol in it and I think that's yeah why do we talk about alcohol I mean a cocktail is more than just the alcohol content is the flavor is the experience is the connection that what a cocktail is you know and it's about changing mentality it's about changing habits you know i think that with more and more non-alcoholic brands coming into the market with bartenders becoming more and more aware and understanding the importance of having low abv and non-alcoholic cocktail on their menu soon it will be widely available and everyone would have an option to be able to to make the choice that works for them on that evening yeah I completely agree and I don't know if this is a, a good analogy to use but what popped into my mind just as you were speaking about that is sort of veganism's transition mm-hmm. you know veganism 10 years ago it was really odd and if you were a vegan you could not get tasty food out it was straight up impossible and therefore becoming a vegan was really hard and I see that similarity in your space and in the non-alcoholic slash low alcoholic world and it'll be really interesting and it's quite exciting to think about that transition that veganism has made Um, yeah absolutely I totally agree with this this analogy and I think that like very often that's the way that I explain to people I think what's even more challenging with lemmies and wellness and the reason why sometimes you know I feel like that People are trying to squeeze me into a box. You have to fit into a box. We have to understand what are you doing and uh, and put a label on it. But for me, La Maison Wellness is very much about bringing mindfulness into the glass. And so therefore, instead of being the vegan, because being the vegan will be only doing non-alcoholic cocktail, I'm actually sure. the conscious eater. I'm actually sure. the... I'm leaning towards the vegan style but I do eat meats but when I do eat meat yeah I'm the flexitarian absolutely but when I do eat meat I'm very very aware of how much do I eat where the meat come from I will try to find something that is you know from an amazing local farmers that is you know farming in a way that is ethical and I'm so much more conscious of that and that is very much what La Maison Wellness is about. It's not about being sober. It's not about saying everyone should drink non-alcoholic cocktail all the time. And I think that like what I'm trying to do with La Maison Wellness is to say, if you're the vegan person, then this is what you can have and it's delicious. If you are the meat eater person slash drinking alcohol, then how about doing it in a more mindful way with good ingredients and understanding why you're drinking and what you're drinking and how and the quality of the other ingredients that goes into the glass. And if you're a person that wants to navigate between the two, that's the way to do it as well. 
It's such it's such a useful analogy. Now, um, I am conscious of time, so I will jump into the final words section of this podcast, which are some questions that are asked to every guest. So, Cammy, what profession would you have if you weren't a founder or creative consultant? Oh gosh, Do I have only one answer. This is hard. <laughs> um, when I, I always say I wanted to to be a florist. I love flowers. Absolutely love flowers. Now I definitely will also say probably a beekeeper. I love, I've always been fascinated with bees. I love using honey in my cocktails. I truly admire the power of raw honey and a bee pollen and all of that. Although recently I feel like that and probably Michael, my partner, will agree. <laughs> Maybe a lawyer. I just feel like that I've been <laughs> very, very passionate about topics and really engaged. And sometimes Michael is like, oh gosh, I feel like I live with a lawyer, you know, because I'm very um, passionate and driven and fighting for the things that I believe in. So maybe all of that. Could you describe your industry in three words? Yeah. Um, creativity, community, hospitality. What are you not very good at? Many things, which is great. I have so much to learn. Um, probably any ball games. I'm terrible at it. I went to um, play tennis with, for the first time yesterday. First time. I'm 33. First time ever play tennis. Um, and it was loads of fun. I just never really play like ball games, you know, like any ball sports never never been really on a something that I played. So I'm pretty terrible at it, but I do love it. A song you'll never get sick of. To build a home from the cinematic orchestra with Patrick Watson. Don't know if you know that song. Beautiful. I mean, give me like it's the song that will just lift me up in any any moment and just inspires me. What is your greatest fear? My biggest fear will probably be to fail, which is, I wish I wasn't saying that because I wish that like that wasn't a fear of mine, but it's not a fear to fail in the mission that I set for myself coming from my ego of, you know, being like fearful of failure, but actually my fear to not be able to bring this lifestyle this very much this way of life to people because I think a lot of people actually don't understand what I'm trying to do and it's either it's for the sober people or you know for the sober people it's almost like oh you're actually also doing alcohol Mm, that's not for me and then for the people that drink they're like oh that's just for the sober people when actually it's something so different that I'm trying to do it's a different way of living of thinking and and it's a it's an awareness of how can we enhance our celebration, but it's also an invitation to celebrate the everyday life. So I'm scared. The, the, my fear will be to not be able to, to share that, that way of life and to inspire people. Thank you for sharing that. And you're already succeeding in that. And I think also with time and as more people learn about the purpose behind what you're doing, they will understand and can experiment and and try it for themselves and it will spread. What quality do you most like in another person? Mm, Kindness. 
empathy. I love when people are true and raw and vulnerable and honest and truly kind, you know, deep, deep within them that everything that they do just rise from a place of love and kindness. You're speaking to 16-year-old Cammy. What would you say to her? <laughs> so much. <laughs> um, I will say to her, trust yourself. Trust yourself. Believe in yourself and in your voice and uh, and what you have to, to bring to this world, but also tr- trust the universe. I think that taking the first step, but, you know, knowing that universe will catch you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Camille Videl, for coming on Hatch. It has been so lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much for for having me, for taking the time to have this conversation and, uh, and it's been such a pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hatch. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd love for you to rate, review and subscribe to Hatch wherever it is that you listen. It makes every difference. See you again next week for another episode. Bye.